We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest takeaways from the Zero RB watch and Stealing Signals. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Sean, we talked about a few of the early games on Sunday. There was a lot of really interesting stuff in some of the later Sunday games into Sunday night, Monday night. Got a lot to talk about today. We do. Obviously, we have the the Chiefs-Cowboys going well under what was expected. We have uh, Joe Burrow failing to get the Bengals going. We have, sadly, I mean, this is, you know, beyond just the fact that we have some Derek Carr, what's happened to the Raiders has been pretty disappointing. They, you know, have a talent drain. They have a brain drain going on there. Um, You know, their offense and team has really collapsed. That made that Bengals Raiders game, which I think a couple of weeks ago looked pretty compelling, into a pretty bland affair. If you don't have Joe Mixon now, I talked about Joe Mixon some in my article today, the Zero RB Watch, and he's been absolutely on fire over the last month, a couple of multi touchdown games. Then during the stretch, he has faced the easiest stretch of opponent defenses. This now flips in the rest of the way. He has the 31st ranked schedule. We know he's been fueled some by touchdowns. Also, an element there where for a while he was getting some good reception numbers. And then this most recent game, I think something that you were alluding to in a previous show, uh, they kind of reestablished Tyler Boyd, took away some of those short receptions from him. When I look at Mixon, I always say, you know, if it's someone that you don't roster in the first place, you have less credibility when you suggest selling them. But there are sort of three separate, like mild red flags here that would point in the direction of perhaps selling Mixon. Now, I will say that some of his peripherals in terms of forcing missed tackles have been good. I've been impressed watching him. And when your passing offense has been as bad as theirs has been, and they have so many negative plays when they do pass, it's easy to see why they would be excited about this good stretch that Mixon has gone on, especially, again, when he does look pretty decent I should say too, the people always want to know, like, what were you good at? You know, what did you miss on? How do you feel about your misses? And I really think we've gotten to the point where Joe Burrow is my biggest disappointment for the 2021 season. And, you know, there's all this debate between like, should you draft running backs early? Should you draft wide receivers early? How do you want to structure this? Um, I love how we're going. Our picks are hitting. Our structure is working. But something you had mentioned a month ago that I said, you know, oh, I think it's going to work out for us. You know, Burrow is ascending. We've got these other stashes in terms of fields, in terms of Hill, a couple of guys I know you want to talk about. We're going to have paths to the upside we need to win tournaments with our quarterbacks. 
for me, the biggest problem that we run into with our rosters, and, and they're in very good shape, but we look forward, I'm pretty concerned about quarterback points. Yeah, that's interesting. I was talking um, with some other co-managers about Burrow this week. Yeah, that's really funny to, to, to kind of hear you come in with that concern. They came out of the bye and were – I don't have the exact number in front of me, but a, a few percentage points toward the run in terms of that pass rate over expectation stat. Uh, it was the lowest they had been since week three when you know they started the season pretty firmly on the run-heavy side for the first three weeks. For a stretch, they were comfortably in the pass – uh, you know, side of that ledger relative to expectation. But in this game, we're very run heavy. And that obviously wasn't a great sign. I wrote in signals that maybe that had a little bit to do with the Raiders, who who do get a pretty good pass rush, uh, kind of an underrated pass rush there. And on the first drive, they got to Burrow, got a strip sack. They ended up sacking him three times. They had another sack on a play that I don't remember seeing it, but I saw in the game log that got flagged for offside, but it went down as a sack. So I don't know if he took a, a hit on a play that, was blown dead or what, but I haven't looked like the QB hits or whatever, but you know, it seems like with the three sacks and especially with the strip sack on the first drive that he was getting hit a little bit. And maybe that was part of the reason they went so run heavy. And then also just like you said, I mean, the Raiders, the Raiders didn't really push them. It was kind of interesting this week. The Raiders were one of one, two, three, four, five teams that ran fewer than 50 offensive plays. There've only been 19 all season, but five of them came here in week 11 uh, Jacksonville, Detroit, Carolina, and Seattle were the other four. So it was one of those weeks where we had some run heavy games. We had some offenses that didn't sustain stuff and just didn't run a lot of plays. I mean, that's like 75% of a normal game's worth of plays. You know, when you're, I mean, the Raiders ran 47 plays. Typically, the average is going to be around 60 or a little bit above 60. And so, yeah, I mean, those are just some of the lowest volume offensive games. And, and the Raiders couldn't get anything going. And so the, the the Bengals were content just kind of running the ball a lot. And yeah, not not ideal for Burrow. It I think one of the really sort of disappointing parts of this, when you look at it, was like, you know, Higgins has not been performing. But I've been really optimistic about him because the volume's been there. But in this game, the volume wasn't there. So are they, you know, seeing something where they're like, it's just not going to happen for Higgins? Or, or was he just not, you know, getting open? A very small sample, obviously, only 29 pass attempts in the game but he only draws three targets. Typically he's been seeing a lot of volume. Boyd gets eight in this game is sort of the focal point. You know, we know a lot of defenses are dropping into these two deep shells and all of that. I don't know if that was the issue here, but obviously Boyd and Higgins are going to be a little different in that regard. Higgins only has 16 air yards. His previous three games, he'd been over a hundred in every game had been uh, back, back in like week six or something was the last time that he didn't have, you know, really strong air yards. And so, yeah, to only have 16 on three targets, Chase still had big air yards. He only had he only had six targets, but he wound up with 125. They took a couple of shots to him. He didn't catch any, you know any of them. He catches One three balls close for, there. Yeah, three balls for 32 yards. So he caught some of the underneath stuff. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like all they could get going in the passing game was underneath. So is it this two deep shell thing? Is that why they ran a bunch? Is that what we're going to see a lot going forward? I mean, that was something actually I wanted to ask you about when we jumped on. Sounds like you you don't feel great about Burrow from a from a quarterbacking standpoint. Well, we had kind of joked a little bit on Sunday night about Jefferson, about Chase, about the situation where he comes in is the number one pick, at least in part because he had this situation in college where he got to play with unbelievable players. And we see a little bit of that with Tua as well in terms of kind of where he is relative to maybe what would have been hoped from him. Now, he had a pretty solid game for the Dolphins here in week 11. But Burrow looked good last season without Jamar Chase. And so, and he looked good in the face of a ferocious pass rush or, you know, within the context of their team not being able to block particularly well. And so for him to take this big step back this year in terms of just being able to even get the ball out to his guys, you know, whoever those guys happen to be for the game. I mean, you mentioned Higgins not involved with this one. Boyd has not been involved in some of these games. Chase, they've managed to get volume two, whether it's targets or air yards or both in most games. We may have gone through a little stretch where they haven't been able to really execute some of those key plays. 
And the thing that just jumps out to me as I watch these games is that Burrow's not having time to go through his progressions even. So, I mean, I, I look at this offense and you even have Mixon, someone that I'm a little more skeptical of, but certainly someone you can dump the ball down to if you have to as a safety valve. But they've got these three receivers. And we know from context outside of this year that these guys are very, very good, right? We talk about Jamar Chase as being the potential and probably the overall wide receiver one in Dynasty comes in as this amazing prospect, gets off to this you know ridiculous start this season. You look at Higgins and the pace that he was on with Burrow last year and the way they talked about him in the offseason before he's had to deal with some sort of minor injuries. And then you look at Boyd, who comes in with this just crazy numbers out of college, gets off to the slow start, yes, but then establishes himself as probably the best possession receiver in all of football. To have those three guys and not be able to make it work is just really bizarre to me. And so, I mean, I felt like that we had to take this value with Burrow where he was going in drafts because how could you not make it work with that much talent with what we saw from Burrow as a rookie? But, I mean, you just have the combination of things here when you watch these games. You mentioned the defensive attention. And one thing I should mention that was a little bit of a concern for me coming into the season was that if you looked at some of the strength of schedule metrics, and especially as we go from season to season, and you haven't gotten to see teams play within the season, you know, there's some skepticism about, well, you know, how much should we really be placing on that? But the Bengals did come in with one of these schedules that supposedly is going to be very difficult for the passing offense. I don't know how much of that has been an issue here, but they go out in the games and Burrow either can't get through his progressions or he doesn't have that immediate target that works for him. And it's one of these things too, where the pre-snap reads don't seem to be there when you've got these three elite wide receivers i mean you should have play calls to where the defensive look lets you know how you can beat that and not every time right i mean no one's going to go out there throw for 500 yards have a perfect perfect passer rating every week but they come out every sunday look absolutely clueless on the first drive and then you're kind of hoping for these shots during the course of the game where they make a big play here, they make a big play there, and they're able to kind of stack the fantasy points for you very quickly because, like, the course of the whole game, they simply do not look good. Even in the games where the fantasy points have been there, it's been in these tiny little spurts. To be now heading into week 12 and have the same things come up week after week, you know, it's harder to just say, oh, well, you know, give them time, have some patience, this will all work out. I mean, these are trends now that are becoming pretty ingrained within the course of the 2021 season. Yeah, that is not ideal. Certainly not ideal coming out of the bye. You'd like to see a, a lot more out of the bye. I'm, I'm hopeful that it had you know a little bit more to do with the Raiders, both what they do defensively and what they were unable to do offensively, particularly in terms of just the run lean. You know, some of the the, the actual concerns when they are calling pass plays that you mentioned sort of harder to wave away they do have a stretch of home games coming up the Bengals but they they face some pretty good pass rushes they get Pittsburgh I don't know if TJ Watt will be back for that and then they get the Chargers and the 49ers they might face both Bosa brothers right um I, th I think uh Joey's a little banged up too but yeah they might wind up facing some pretty good defensive ends here over the next stretch so Will be interesting, certainly, to see where we go from here with Burrow. The other guy in the after afternoon window that I wanted to talk to you about my my afternoon window out here in the uh, in the Pacific time zone, so the late Sunday window for anyone listening on the East Coast, uh, was Ron Elmore. I mean, we got eleven targets, eleven receptions, fifty-one yards. I think anyone who's been talking about his usage being so close to the line of scrimmage can look at that and say. I mean, anyone who hates PPR scoring can look at that and say, well, he only had 51 yards. He shouldn't get, you know, 11, 11 points for these receptions. Uh, I don't want to have that discussion. But uh, certainly people who have talked about his usage and things, look, he only had 51 yards, all of that. I get it. I think that's fair. But we did, you know, I, I bashed Cliff Kingsbury last week for with Hopkins out and Kyler out and Chase Edmonds out and, and all of that for not really – getting touches to their playmakers, uh, specifically to their one playmaker, Rondell Moore, who could potentially add, you know, some juice to their offense in week 10. 
and in a loss. And in week 11 here, they did that. They, they actually only ran him on routes, uh, routes on uh, 49% of dropbacks. It was still, you know, mostly AJ Green and that Antoine Wesley as the two outside receivers and Kirk in the slot. And then Moore was sort of in mostly on plays where he was like sort of designed to get the ball, but they did manufacture him touches. And it's funny that he didn't actually have any explosive plays, you know, in, in relation to my comments last week. Having said that, uh, I was kind of looking at this from the perspective of, look, these are just extensions of the run game. Not a single incomplete pass on a target to him. He gets 11 targets, 11 catches. They're very high. I mean, you don't see that with downfield receivers, obviously. His dot was actually negative because, you know, he had so many targets behind the line of scrimmage that, you know, some of them were tip passes and things that, you know, we call them targets, but they're essentially handoffs. And so in, in that regard, look, it wasn't it wasn't an efficient game, but he ends up with 4.6 yards per reception or per target. He caught all his targets. That's not exactly bad. And when you think of from a running game perspective, it's, you know, it was reasonable enough. They actually ran for fewer than three yards per carry in this game against Seattle. And James Conner did not have a particularly efficient game. Um, you know, Benjamin didn't either as their secondary running back. And so I think some of what they did with Moore actually helped them stay on schedule a little bit and helped them win this game from a real football perspective. But as far as Moore is concerned, he gets these 11 touches. They're all in the line of scrimmage. He's still not running the downfield routes. He's still not getting those opportunities. We've talked several times about, you know, the play he made on the sidelines uh, a, a few weeks ago, the long TD he had in, in week two or whatever it was, which was sort of a scramble drill where he was running kind of a, a deep crossing pattern and not deep intermediate crossing pattern caught it, made a bunch of moves in space. They're basically just manufacturing touches at the line and not getting him out into these routes anymore. Um, or at least he's not being targeted at those routes when he has an A dot of, of, you know, negative 0.8 or whatever it was. So that is, that's concerning in terms of the way he's being used at the same time. It was promising. I think to see that they think that getting him 11 touches, manufactured touches, is a good thing for their offense, you know, with everyone else out. They they noticed that from last week, what we talked about. So, yeah, anyway, uh, not ideal that he still didn't play a lot of snaps. Second straight week where he's been under 40% snaps. He hadn't been under 40% since way back in week three. And he wasn't explosive. He wasn't very efficient with these touches. At the same time, for the year, he's still been very efficient. Uh, he still created a lot of yak. He's still been good. It's just a lot of that was was uh you know built into the early part of the season kind of wondering how you're feeling about more at this point well ben you were telling me that uh this 4.6 yards per touch extension of the run game uh you know that's that's really pretty decent and i just want to point out that devin singletary you know worst back in the nfl is averaging five yards per carry and so if you're worse than devin singletary then I mean, how how good can you be? Other, uh, also, I mean, how does Rondell Moore look as a receiver compared to Debo Samuel as a pure running back? What do you mean? We haven't seen Moore as a receiver. <laughs> Debo looks like a good pure running back. I get your point. <laughs> okay, so so just just running back touches here for Moore. Yeah, it, it's weird, right? I mean, you you were very anti Kingsbury for the fact that the Cardinals have just rolled over two divisional opponents with basically any decent player they have on their offense out. So, Well, to be fair, it was after they got shellacked by the Panthers that I was anti-Kingsbury. That's true. That's true. They did not look as good against the Panthers. There were going to be some funny uh, A.J. Green jokes. He actually did make an excellent catch in this game. So we want to shout out to A.J. Green. Made a catch that wasn't uncontested he also did have a play where it looked like he was going to contribute maybe to a pick six but it turned out that that uh pass did hit the ground so we don't have to give him a hard time for that one no i it's weird to not see more use down the field right and one of the comps that we have bandied about for him coming into the season is that not necessarily right away but that he could emerge as a steve smith kind of player he's got that athleticism in a smaller body and one of the things one of the just you know, very sharp contrasts that we see this week is that when you look at the two guys who are drafted in a similar range, who have similar names, and who have this small stature but unreal athleticism, the contrast between more 
Rondell version with his 11 touches, as you say, and Elijah Moore and how he was used all over the field and how they get him the ball on a legitimate wide receiver pattern. And then he takes it an additional 40 yards, beats the defender, uh, outruns the angle. I mean, those are the things we're looking for for Rondell Moore as well. And so to have him essentially be used as a glorified Michael Hardman, I mean, that's that's not the direction we want to be going in, right? Because you know, one of the things that the Chiefs have essentially done is say, look, I mean, this is still not a very efficient way to play. You know, we're going to use some real wide receivers. And so their Hardman experiment is sort of dripping away week by week. I don't think that's the direction we're going to go for Rondell Moore because, I mean, he was a much better player and much better prospect than Hardman was. I mean, the Chiefs took a guy who was not really a receiver and said, let's try and develop him. I mean, Moore is a receiver. And I think he's going to get those touches. But it is one of these situations where you would like to see that kind of thing start happening. And one of the things I think that you've mentioned, I mean, A.J. Green is not going to be with the team, you know, for the long term. But it would be great to see Kirk and Hopkins out on the edge more operating as this elite and very multifaceted slot player or even have, you know, more on the outside side and run some of these vertical routes, get behind the defense. There's no reason why a player with that kind of speed can't be used for a 60-yard touchdown. Get those air yards, make the defense cover the whole field. They don't have that speed out on the edge to create problems for the defense if they're not going to use their guys who have speed. Yeah, and that slot thing is so weird because Kirk has actually played his three lowest slot rates of the year these past three weeks. He was in the slot at least 80% of the time every week from week one to week eight. In week nine, it was at 31%. He was basically the outside guy. That's when Green was also out with COVID and more played a lot more in uh, as like basically the main slot guy. Week 10, Kirk was back into the slot a good amount, but not totally. This week, it was, uh, so se- it was at 72%, not up to the 80% that he was previously every every week. And then this past week, it was 62%. And Moore has been in uh, the slot at 70% of the time or higher every single week. And he's mixed in the backfield in a little bit, which is why he's maybe not all the way up at 80%. But they basically see him as a pure slot guy. He plays outside some, but you know, for, for as far as slot rates go, it's very high. It's interesting that Kirk these last three weeks has had his three lowest slot rates. He's kicked out some. Yet... It seems like that's mostly only because Hopkins has been out, not necessarily to free up snaps for more because more has been playing fewer snaps. It's like, it's really hard to reconcile all of this, frankly, for me. I was, I was shocked. I mean, I watched the game. I saw a ton of more and I was like, Oh, okay. They're using more. And then I I saw the numbers and I was like, he really didn't play that much again. He was down at, you know, sub 40% snaps, sub 50% routes. They just had him out there for basically like manufactured touches. And, you know, they've essentially just used him in the Chase Edmonds role, you know, without the pure handoffs. And so that that raises the question, you know, I, I haven't seen any good update on Edmonds, but what happens when he comes back? I mean, unless they figure out some better ways to use him, I mean, you could go back to the point where, I mean, he has almost no involvement in the offense at all. Yeah, and then the other guy that had a big game here and has been a big part of their offense since they brought him in is Zach Ertz. And so he factors in, right. And he's played in the slot. Some, I don't have his slot numbers pulled up right now, but uh, it, it just, it seems like they're manufacturing stuff for everyone other than more, which I take as a personal slight personally. <laughs> they're obviously doing this just to attack stealing bananas as a podcast. Yeah. Ertz has been in the slot. He was in the slot 67% of the time this past week in uh, week 11. He was in the slot over 60% of the time in week 10, 48% week nine. So he's in the slot quite a bit as well. So it just, it feels like they are, I don't know. I mean, maybe Ertz has hurt more than I thought he would, which again, it just, look, Kirk has been great this year. I was a big Kirk guy for a long time and he's played really good football this year. But I can't help but feel like if Rondell Moore was running all these routes that he would be doing justice. I mean, it's it, it's very similar to, in my mind, to the conversation we had about other players like when Marlon Mack had a couple of good runs. This is the one I always go back to. And, and you said, like, the Colts aren't in a position to not be giving their best playmakers these opportunities. Um, now, the Cardinals are 
in a little bit of a different position. There are they are still moving the ball offensively and, and producing, and Zach Ertz is catching TDs and AJ Green's catching passes. So maybe they don't see it as an issue. But well, the, the other thing here, I, I guess I would wonder about is how much of this is that they actually do want to get him the ball, kind of like you were saying, the 11 manufactured touches, but they don't think that Colt McCoy can get him the ball on some of these types of targets or some of these types of routes that you're looking for. Whereas, you know, and hopefully Kyler Murray is basically 100%. They hold, they're holding him out through the bye in order to make sure there are no problems as they make their sort of push for the number one seed. But perhaps when he comes back and is able to make some of these throws down the field, extend some of these plays, get some of these guys involved deeper, they'll be able to do that. Whereas for Colt McCoy, perhaps it's a situation where they really did want to build an offense with a lot of sort of, um, you know, relief types of plays. And, and it worked extremely well, right? You have more, and like you mentioned, Zach Ertz had a field day uh, against Seattle on this one. Yeah, absolutely. You know what stat I don't have pulled up, but but I, I want to see for, for Rondale is just basically how good he's been on targets that have traveled X amount of air yards, 10 air yards or whatever, you know. Uh, maybe I'm overstating it. Uh, he only has a couple of big plays on those opportunities. I don't think he's got a ton of targets on those opportunities, but I imagine – that he's been fine basically. And when you are a rookie who comes in and makes some plays in the first few weeks, traditionally we look at this over a large sample. Part of the reason I'm so confused about this is rookies that are reasonably high picks like this, who are efficient early in their career by this point in the season, we, we tend to see them playing more uh, one way or another. And, and look, yeah, the Cardinals are a good offense. They do have a lot of options. You know, they went traded for Zach Ertz and they've made him into a very efficient player in their offense. Suddenly Zach Ertz has downfield explosiveness again. I mean, the big joke on him last year was he'd catch a four-yard pass and fall down. His yards per target was never going to be over five again the rest of his career. And now it's it's like 10 in this offense. So he did have a funny play in this game, though, where uh, he, he caught it and immediately fell to the ground and then kind of looked around a little bit embarrassed, realizing there was nobody there and did like get back up and, and scramble for another yard or two. I got to feel like Rondell Moore could do that. I think he could fall down and get back up and scramble for a couple of yards. Then kind of while you were looking at that, was able to pull up more in his page on the NFL stat Explorer. You go down to the bottom right and you can see passes by location. He has four targets, 15 plus yards on the left, uh, one to the right, which wasn't completed, but those four deep targets on the left, three receptions, 128 yards. Uh, Seems three, good. For four for 128. I mean, that, that's not too shabby. No, I think, I mean, that's a 30-ish yards per target down the field. That's a little bit better than, than Ertz and AJ Green. I mean, those guys are doing well, but it's not like Moore's chopped liver here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll see we'll see how that develops. That's uh, it is funny though. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the uh, just these are like running back receptions that he's getting. Basically, nothing in that five to fourteen yard range where you really want your star receiver to develop. Then he's twenty two for twenty four within five yards to the left. Nine for nine in the center. Twelve for twelve to the right. Uh, he has only two incompletions on these essentially handoff passes, which again, if they're, if they're going to be that depth, you do want them to catch them all. And I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing tweets and commentary and stuff that are like, Oh yeah, Ronald Moore's not producing yards. It's like, okay, well he's getting the ball at the line of scrimmage. So all the yards that he's getting are, are after the catch basically, which you expect a higher yak near the line of the scrimmage. But the other side of it is what you just said. Like they're not even incomplete everyone. I mean, they're, they're, they're designed plays. They're easy plays to complete. And so they're not actually the, Pass it. I mean, it's not that they're not passes. They are, but you know, fundamentally, when we think about the risk of passing and all of these things, I mean, I, it's not a bad part of their offense to be giving him the ball and getting five yards. Yeah, it's. You can also look at kind of his receiving detail. It's pretty funny. The air yards per target, one point seven. It won't surprise you that that ranks one hundred and eleventh among receivers with a minimum of three targets per game. But eight point three yards after the catch per reception that is number three in the entire NFL so we're seeing what we're supposed to see from him and one of the things I did notice in this game again is that 
there were situations where he was stopped and the defense had him kind of walled off either behind the line of scrimmage or behind the first down. And he managed to beat these guys. And that's just not something you can do at the NFL level, unless you're in this very rare, 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 uh, just, you know, top, you know, one or 2% kinds of guys, the NFL defenders are just too fast. And yet more kind of in that category, you know, with a Tyreek Hill type of guy has the speed, has the agility to still get around them. The change of direction is unreal. And so, you know, we can keep looking at him and dreaming that some of these deeper targets are going to come into play. Then we have to go to the break here, but I know once we come back, uh, you do want to delve into uh, kind of the strangeness with the New Orleans Saints offense and uh, what's a little bit tricky to divine about this new contract for Taysom Hill. Colin Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio podcast network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ben, what's the scoop here with New Orleans? Not a great game for Trevor Simeon. They get hammered by the Philadelphia Eagles. We've been stashing Hill. I was about to release him off of some teams this week. We have the team with Pat and Pete that is right there at the top. We were finally uh, passed for most points in our league last week, in part because of our Kyler Murray travails and in part because uh, our Buffalo special teams unit of Tyler Bass and the defense only gave us one point. It was it was a pretty bad week all around for the Buffalo Bills. Um, I have to admit, I, I don't understand the contract. Fill me in on what the strategy is here for the Saints. Did they have to sign Taysom Hill to a new contract before they can put him back there? Is he, I mean, does he have an option of like just sitting on the sidelines and, and not playing? I mean, how, how does this work out? Why, why do they have to uh, extend him again? He's under contract to a huge amount this year for a gadget guy. Don't we want to see him play? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't pretend to understand the contract stuff at all. I'll say that it seems like the new extension is just like ways of moving around money and kicking the can down the road and freeing up 2022 money. And they've sort of used Taysom Hill's contract as ways to just continuously push stuff into future years. But yeah, I don't know exactly how all that works. <laughs> There's some some really sharp guys at uh, over the cap that I like to follow for some of that stuff. Most of them are just referencing like it's 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 basically like a four year, forty million extension with all these escalators for playing QB, which to me are like okay, well he's probably not going to play QB then, like is it because they're doing it to free up cap space and they wouldn't be doing it at all, I don't think, unless I, I mean I don't know. I, I know there's some elements to it where like his extension can't based on the size of his last extension, it can't be too small or something. I don't know. There, Maybe that's not – maybe I'm making that up. But I I read it as like, well, they're not going to play me QB because they're not going to play him all this money. And and they have actually, to this to this point, continuously made the decision not to play him at QB. I mean, you go back two years and Drew Brees gets hurt and they play Teddy Bridgewater over him. And he had already been signed to that first contract. And we were all like, oh, they're going to go with Bridgewater and not Hill. We thought, you know, they've been saying the Hill's – 
the quarterback of the future. And we've seen Bridgewater play now, and we know that he could not have looked that dominant as a back quarterback <laughs> in practice. And then you go to last year, he does Hill does get the nod over Jameis, and he plays well for a four-game stretch, particularly for fantasy. The first two games doesn't throw a ton, runs for two touchdowns in both. The second two, he had much better passing numbers, but we're talking about a very small sample here. And then they come into this year and they make the decision at the beginning of the year to go with Jameis and not even like some kind of combination. And obviously Taysom ends up getting hurt, but mostly just go with Jameis. And then Jameis goes down and they, they're they ready for Simeon. And, and again, Hill wasn't necessarily ready, but he's been healthy now for a couple of weeks. They're still pushing Simeon out there. I, I mean, aren't they kind of telling us that they don't really think that he can do what they need him to do as a quarterback? And, I mean, they can say all they want about how valuable he is in all these other ways, but they're paying him a lot of money. They've talked a lot about him being a quarterback for a long time. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason I brought him up to you as someone to talk about is we are stashing him on some of these teams. We're stashing fields uh, on a few of these teams. I'm a little bit more optimistic about fields. It sounds like Matt Nagy might get fired, which if he does, I'm going to dance. I'm going to actually visit. Were you the source for this? I I, I might have been. I, it seems like um, maybe Pat was was right in the blurb here uh, for these news for for uh, NBC Sports Edge, but maybe using you as the source that, that Matt Nagy is going to be fired? I mean, look, don't don't reveal all our secrets. That's not uh that's that's not cool. No, uh yeah, I mean there's all this talk about not making these fires in firings in season, but we already got Nagy out for a game. Not only did the offense look more competent than it has pretty much any other time Nagy's had influence, but like feels like I, I talked about this on the show. Like I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, but he felt like he was playing more comfortably. It just felt like everything in the preparation week and everything must have just been little bit better for the dude anyway hoping that yeah I, look i'm not like wishing for matt Nagy to get fired at the same time he's kind of a dick to the media and everything and every uh appearance he has it's not like i i feel that bad he's well off and he seems to think that he's smarter than everyone so sorry matt Nagy, but you gotta go uh hopefully hopefully for fields we get some opportunities to see him play but him lance is the other one Taysom hill it has felt to me this whole year like this is a year where stashing some QBs for potential playoff upside made sense. Traditionally, we, you and I, we're not going to be people that are going to stash a lot of QBs. We have some good teams right now where we're rolling with three quarterbacks. We, I think we have the one team, our best team, I think, has Derek Carr still as sort of our anchor. And he's not much of an anchor at this point. But we, t- we picked up both Fields and Hill thinking – we want to hit on one of these upside running quarterbacks that could be a really nice fantasy piece for big FFPC tournament. This is a main event team. But traditionally, we wouldn't be using that third roster spot at quarterback. We would want another running back swing, right? A, a zero RB guy. And our teams need him. You know, somebody who can really break out for us. Are we making a mistake? Are we throwing away roster spots? Uh, it, it, this is not something that we would have done in other years, but 2021 has felt different with a few of these guys, the two rookies, and also Hill being a unique case. We have guys that, like, look, if they if they start, they're top 10 quarterbacks, are they not? Yeah, I mean, you would think so. Now, the, the situation with Fields where it's not just that he has been inconsistent and is having some difficulty adjusting to what he needs to do as an NFL passer, right? Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> their their weapons are non-existent right now darnell mooney is a, a good player but he should be you know the second or third receiver in a vertical slot guy ellen robinson is is done i mean uh, i see a lot of these trades go through and you know like i say i'm wrong all the time there there is a definite scenario in which he goes to a team that has it together with the passing offense and he can be more than what he is. But when you look at how he has succeeded in the past several years, I mean, this kind of season almost felt inevitable. One where instead of making these contested catches where the defense is draped all over him and he's putting his arms up and making the play, but the season where he goes to being Sammy Watkins, right? I mean, if you can't separate, if you're an older player, if your health isn't there, then, I mean, you're not a receiver who's going to make a difference for your team. And so Fields 
downfield passing accuracy is elite, but we know that there's more than that to playing quarterback and to be a passer at the NFL level. If there weren't, then Tom Brady would be one of the weakest passers that we've had as opposed to one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, right? So you have some of these other elements. You have some of the scheme things. If you're not going to run, then maybe you don't have it there. And there is also this unfortunate element where if the Bears strategy is essentially the same thing as the Lions strategy, then, I mean, they don't have DeAndre Swift, even though David Montgomery is a good player. And you, you suddenly get into these situations where, you're not going to have much upside. At the same time, uh, you have to continue to hope for a path for some of these guys. The number of quarterbacks who are really dominating for you now are very limited. Some of those guys have been inconsistent with uh, illness of one kind or another. Obviously, you know we know Lamar Jackson must have been very sick this past week to not be able to go. Uh, you have situations like uh, what just developed today with the Jets, where we're definitely back to zach wilson so we'll see how that affects elijah more we'll see you know what if any consequences there are for the running backs in terms of checkdowns. but yeah i mean we've got to keep going with this thing these things one of the things we've seen this season is a lot of offenses that have gotten worse due to injuries or other uh, bizarre things that have happened within the overall team concept and then we've seen some situations where there'll be a little bit of a stretch where a guy gets hot, but that was proven to be very unsustainable. So you think about some of the games that Kirk Cousins has had now. I mean, he comes back out and actually has maybe the best weapons in the NFL. So despite his weaknesses and limitations, he now actually looks like someone where if you had him on teams, you'd be very glad to have him. The flip side of that is Matt Ryan, where without Calvin Ridley, I just I have no idea, Ben, how the Atlanta Falcons have won four games because I mean, they're the worst team in football in a league that has the Houston Texans, who also just defeated the Tennessee Titans last week. A lot of funny things in that game where the Titans had 420 yards to 190 for the Texans, and yet, I mean, they were never in the game. So when we're trying to find quarterback options, it's not necessarily like we can go in a different direction. So I think your point about the roster spots is a very important one. That's something I think people forget sometimes when they're looking at early QB versus late QB is that that roster spot could really matter for you. Now, the flip side of it is just that in some of these situations where we were considering a player like Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson, uh, there were potential stars available. And then you wrap back around to the next couple of rounds and you think about how this worked out. It's like, (laughs) you always have to look at the things that went well for you as along with the things that went poorly when you're trying to decide on some of these tactical decisions, if you were to select a quarterback and give up Debo Samuel, you would never forgive yourself. And so that's something that also factors in here a little bit. Obviously, in retrospect, the league winning plays were to draft Matthew Stafford and Jalen Hurts. Yeah, or Tom Brady. Yeah, there's some quarterbacks in that range. Even Justin Herbert went a little later in some drafts. Um, the But you you didn't really answer my question, which was, is there going to be dropping QBs? Should we be dropping QBs? Is there going to be, I mean, the fact that you were referencing Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan and some of those guys, and we have seen some of the elites struggle. I mean, Patrick Mahomes statistically is struggling right now. He's had some, some huge, he had the the monster game uh, a couple weeks ago, but you know, Josh Allen has had some, some down games. Certainly Kyler Murray's been hurt. Dak had a, a really rough game this week. Brady has been, you know, just elite all season. Couple, couple of so-so games, uh, especially the Washington game, but even this Giants game on Monday Night Football, they settle for field goals. They, they have to run in the red zone because teams are dropping into coverage and they're making this this harder on passers and these explosive passing attacks to get the explosive plays and to rack up a bunch of yards. Not every matchup, but some of these matchups are, are proving to be very difficult for some of these quarterbacks. Well, you had mentioned because Herbert, too, it's... And, and he's on our team with Davis, which is one that we're tracking very closely because that's a Jonathan Taylor team that has Saquon Barkley coming back. Uh, that team had been struggling with Herbert not putting up the big points, and then we finally get a game with big points from him and also with the Mike Williams connection, and suddenly 
we have a 205 point week. And so, I mean, that one, I mean, it's exciting to get those points and to get back in that and think, okay, well now we have Taylor and maybe Barkley and maybe Barkley in an offense where they have a legit offensive coordinator. But yeah, I mean, just looking at that score this week, I'm thinking, man, if only the other teams that Ben and I had, had a quarterback that would put up some points, we'd be hitting 200 on a few more of these rosters as well. Right. But some of the, agreed, some of these rosters are still going to make the tournament. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm struggling with is, are we making a mistake chasing these guys specifically? Do you think there's a chance that Trey Lance plays? I mean, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo playing great football right now. Maybe it takes an injury, but let me frame that differently. If he plays, will he have been worth holding or will he not be good? Fields at times has not been good. Uh, And then Hill's the other one. Like, are we going to see him play? And I, you know, would have thought we would have seen it by now. I think we probably still are going to because Simeon has not been good. I I feel like one of these guys is going to be a big part of the fantasy football story for 2021 because we're talking about all these other quarterbacks that certainly the elites are going to be a big part of it as well. Um, I keep going back to last year. Jalen Hurts was a guy that if you picked him up around now, he was great down the stretch. He was great into the fantasy postseason. Um, very similar, I think, to what we're talking about with guys like Fields and Lance. I don't know necessarily how how it opens up for Lance. That seems like a longer shot right now because Garoppolo is playing good football. Although it is like even that is like he's not throwing a lot of passes. He's grading really well and everything, but he's it's totally the run game and, and the way that they're designing things that has, has helped them to these last couple of wins. I don't think he threw over twenty five passes in either game. He could certainly have a couple of games where he has to chase points and look really, really bad. And then, you know, this discussion reopens. Well, you know, if they fall out of it too, then you would probably look at yourselves as being remiss to not get Lance some late season reps. And, you know, you look at the tournament, you look at week 16, week 17. You know, if you have a team that is absolutely loaded, and obviously we're biased, but we think that our team's are at running back wide receiver tight end and then you know maybe you're in the mix in the top 25 30 going into week 17 and you could perhaps create a little bit of difference with some of these other rosters by playing a trey lance and you know it's hard to look at it now but week 17 is still quite a ways away from where we are so you've got to be kind of open to that. Then part of this feels to me like a roundabout way of saying that you do not want to roster two kickers on these teams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We discussed that a little bit. Um, I've had some funny conversations with my, my ship chasing buddies about that dating back to last year. I think if you want to carry this many QBs, it certainly becomes tough. Yeah. I mean, these, these are the important decisions I think going into the playoffs in these major tournaments uh it, it's not a i mean your roster is set it is what it is it's all about these last few roster spots how are you going to tweak how are you going to optimize when the rosters lock yeah i mean we still have a couple more weeks a couple more weeks of waivers and stuff i don't know i'm still holding out hope for some of these qbs i like that's that was sort of i guess my point was that i think one of these dudes is still going to end up being good you know sort of worth holding we'll see we'll see how that how that all plays out uh, one other guy I want to ask you about, Sean, was uh, Najee Harris, because since his 14-catch game back in, I want to say, week three, he has not actually had that strong of a receiving role. I mean, he's had some – he had a six-catch game the very next week. He had a six-catch game in week six. Since week six, he's played four games, three catches, three catches, four catches. He had five this past game. They threw 44 times in that big Sunday night game. He only catches five passes. I'm those are not bad numbers. Uh, you go back to you know since week three, and he averages about four catches per game. I wrote about in signals this week, and that's good. I mean, that's that's above average. That's very good. That's the type of receiving four catches a game that you want to see from your workhorse running back. The reason I bring it up is we're talking about Najee Harris as a top five running back, and can he be sort of the number one running back? And the other elements of his profile are all pretty disappointing right now. He has not been efficient from a yardage perspective. I mean, you just look at baseline stats. I know you have some other really good numbers, but 3.6 yards per carry, 5.4 yards per target. A lot of people blaming that on the offense and on on the offensive line. And 
that's fine, but he's not picking up yards for fantasy. He's getting a ton of touches this past week, only 17, but uh, 25 or more in the, in the five games prior. So you're, you're racking up yardage because of touches, but you're not showing the efficiency volume. Then number two, the seven TDs on the season really hasn't had a ton of green zone opportunities. He gets good, you know, decent looks in there, but this is not a high scoring offense either. I mean, 37 points this past week and a loss had not hit 30 points all season prior to that. Um, have had several games, five games, it looks like, where they've been under 20 points. That's a problem, right? So now you have a lack of yardage efficiency. You have a lack of green zone opportunities because your offense isn't getting down there enough. And then, you know, the receptions are become such a huge element of it. When we talk about like high value touches, we talk about the catches in the green zone stuff. He's getting a ton of work. He's getting a ton of opportunity. But for him to really have an elite ceiling, we wanted to see more games like this 14-catch game. Obviously, that was an absurd number, but he has not been over six in any of his other games. We haven't had any of these eight-catch, nine-catch games from him. I think he has a really strong floor because he catches multiple passes every week, and he gets so many touches that you know he's going to have 80 yards or whatever. What's the ceiling? I mean, is he just a high-floor, kind of low-ceiling guy right now? I think that he is. And... I mean, we talked about, and he's on that best team that we have. And so we're rooting for him every week, even though we're skeptical. We picked him because we got to the point where we didn't see any realistic path that his workload wasn't so good that it would trump these other concerns. And that's basically played out. I mean, there aren't that many times where you can go back and say almost exactly what we thought was going to happen was going to happen. And for the exact reasons we thought all these things were going to happen. But he's averaging 21.6 expected points per game, which leads the running back position. And so the workload is there. Now, this week, you mentioned that the receiving numbers are falling off a little bit. This was the first week, I think, uh, since that 14 target game where his receiving EP numbers fell into single digits. Uh, he still is in this group with Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, DeAndre Swift, and Austin Eckler, where those guys are the only backs to average at least 8.5 rush EP, 8.5 receiving EP. Obviously, he leads the way from this group, but that gives you a little bit of a sense of the profile of these guys who really are the running back stars. Now, Jonathan Taylor not in there, but one of the big contrasts is that Taylor has the big play ability and it just is so consistent because the talent level is so high. Now, with Harris, we don't really have that. He's a big guy. He's an athletic guy. But one of the things that we mentioned in the summer when we were sort of selling him for Dynasty is that his breakaway rush numbers in college were bad. And they were bad within the context of an Alabama team that creates a ton of holes for you to run through. And so that's a red flag. It's a red flag that's kind of carried on to the NFL level. And one of the things that we have now seen, and this kind of goes to your point about the high floor, the low ceiling, I was kind of blown away when I was sort of looking through the stuff in writing today and discovered, I mean, he's posted running back one finishes in eight of the last nine weeks and yet crested 25 points only once. I mean, that does, that seems impossible, right? And so, you know, you go through and you look at some of these other numbers and I always think that the interesting contrast with Harris is Javante Williams, a rookie who comes in obviously in the same class and is younger, had some better numbers in terms of this breakaway rush score. And you look at their peripherals, both of these guys really struggling before contact. They're two of the worst backs in the NFL in that category. And so some of that is blocking. Some of that is the types of plays that you're being asked to run and the opposing defensive fronts. But Williams at 1.3, Harris at 1.4, obviously that's really down. Now, Williams has actually been hit at the line even more often than Harris. Harris at 40%, Williams at 47%. I mean, these guys are not getting out cleanly hardly ever. And yet, Williams is doing a lot better job of creating yards on his own. He's at 3.6 after contract. That's uh, one of the top numbers in the entire NFL. His evasion rate is 22%, only 13% for Harris. Harris, obviously, 2.3 yards after contact, not terrible. But again, I mean, that's going to give you this 3.6 yards per attempt. And one of the things I think is interesting is to kind of look at this in all the different uh, individual components. And not that those aren't going to jump around. We know these stats aren't going to be particularly stable. But it does give you a little bit of a window into what they're doing right now and what things you would need to see them change in order to get those numbers up into the range that we see from Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor. And 
I mean, the main thing you would just need to see is for Harris to be a much, much better running back. That may come in time, but there's not a lot of reason to think that would happen, you know, in the next month. Now, if it does, if he breaks some big plays, we do have a little bit more upside. But I think the other thing that you mentioned that was interesting is this lack of the scoring potential for the offense in general. You look at that touch profile, and it's been very good for Harris, but it has been buttressed by those touchdowns. Uh, you look at him particularly, and it makes me think of what Patrick Corain was telling us when he came on the show and was talking about his legendary running back profile. Do you need a big back who's going to fall into touchdowns as the workhorse for his team in order to kind of prop up the other elements of this profile? But I mean, the problem is that some of these touchdowns have been a little bit lucky in that you could go through a game and not have those opportunities. You could go through a multi-game stretch, and then all of a sudden you're looking at Harris and there would be some real problems. And when you look at the New England Patriots this past week with multiple really good running backs, an offense that runs the ball really well, they win the game really easily. And Ben, I don't think that they had a running back touch inside the 15-yard line. So, I mean, if you have some unfortunate kinds of sequencing or context within some upcoming Steelers games, then you, know, you could run into some problems with Harris's floor even. Yeah, and I mean, I guess part of the reason I have been on this is every week in Stealing Signals, I look at, you know, high-value high touches and I look at a four-week rolling average and just sort of, you know, who's, who's peaking now and early in the year, you know, I, for several weeks because Najee Harris in week three had 14 high value touches. He caught 14 passes. He was right there with the leaders and in his before his week seven by he had three high value touches in week one, but six, which is solid 14, seven, four, eight. So you have the 14 game. You also have a six, a seven and eight. And then they have the week seven by since then he's been at five, four, four. And then he was at seven this week on Sunday Night Football, but in a really high-volume game, the highest-scoring game of the year for the Steelers. They throw 44 times. He gets the green zone touch and gets the short touchdown. But, I mean, if he is who we thought he was from a workload standpoint, in a game like this, you'd expect him to be up at 9 or 10 or 11 high-value touches, not 7. And so, yeah, I mean, the the four-week rolling average for several weeks now, ever since that 14 high-value touch game, dropped off you know from week three and i was looking at the four week rolling averages you know from week four to week seven and then to week eight to week nine to week 10 to week 11 he's just been really middling sort of in, in terms of these high value touches and you know i will sometimes call those guys the trap backs or you know it means that a lot of their touches are low value touches he's getting a ton of touches but a lot of them are low value rush attempts and they're you know, it's sort of like Derrick Henry type profile, except you're not even getting as many green zone touches. And the, the bigger issue is Derrick Henry succeeds with that because he can be explosive. You have to have efficiency on basically everything, but especially on those low value touches. When Derrick Henry can create a touchdown from 60 yards away on a run, that is a massive, massive thing for, for his fantasy value. Najee Harris has not shown any ability to do anything like that. And I think if there is a sort of a silver lining, it's that, he does have this size athleticism receiving ability profile that very much insulates him from losing touches. Uh, there's not any hint that they would go to anybody else for anything significant. Now, one of the reasons why maybe he missed out on a couple of high value touches in this game, I do think that he departed for a little stretch there uh, to get checked out when there might've been some good touches for him. But still, like you mentioned, with the plays that were there, you know, they, they could have done a lot more. But, you know, we, we see people with Harris's profile in terms of what he's actually doing on the field. We tend to see them hemorrhage touches to other backs. I don't think we have to worry about that at all in this situation. We, we've been kind of stashing Anthony McFarland as the potential handcuff uh, at different points in the season now. He's been injured and we don't really even know kind of what's going on there other than that when Harris does have to come off the field, Kalen Balaj and Benny Snell kind of rotate in. Neither one of those guys is going to take any touches. Right. We do know that he's got all that work. And we do know that again, the low value touches are going to be typically big enough that he's going to rack up yards. And so there's a nice little floor there, but really without those two elements, 
there's not a lot that separates him from like Leonard Fournette, which Fournette's been good as well. Don't get me wrong. But like, yeah, no, I don't think there really is right now, which, which is too bad. And it's perhaps another reason um, to consider not burning too many of your early picks at running back. That's something we talk about from time to time. But the other element here, which I mean, maybe you're hinting at as it relates to our team and other people who are in a similar situation, but talent matters, right? And I've been skeptical about and very, not exactly incorrectly, but skeptical about Eckler's workload. It's been better than I thought. And then the efficiency, again, just out of this world, you know, when the Chargers go out there, that Eckler has this potential for a mega touchdown game. He's turned into that kind of guy within this offense. When Christian McCaffrey goes out there, you know, it could be a 15 reception game. It could be a four or five touchdown game. Camaro, we saw it last year. Taylor, we saw it last week. Things have to go right to create those kinds of games, but they're not fluky from the perspective of not just anybody's going to get them. We're talking about the best backs in football who have the ability to create environments where that would happen. So much of the discussion here, I think, is leading us to the conclusion that it's not impossible with somebody who has this many touches and is going to get the touches at the goal line. I mean, it's not possible the Steelers could fall into a game where they create some turnovers, they you know, recover a muff punt, they get a strip sack, and all of a sudden you're looking at a bunch of different possessions with goal line touches. But it is difficult to imagine a game where Najee Harris wins you a half a million dollars. It's, it's as difficult to imagine as it could possibly be for a back who gets as much work as he gets, right? Who has his snap share, who has his touch share. Uh, that's exactly right. I think you, you put it so perfectly. That's the other reason I've been thinking about this this week. It's not just the four-week rolling average thing. It's that Taylor and Eckler showed us this week what running back ceilings look like, right? And we, we already know it from, you know, that Chris McCaffrey has it and Dalvin Cook and everyone else. But, like, you look at that and Najee Harris, where he's at in points per game, he's not far behind those guys. I mean, he is a little bit now that they extended with this really big week from, from each of those two but he's up there. You know, he's approaching 20 fantasy points per game, PPR points per game. Every running back in that range should have this type of ceiling. It just like it feels like they should in my mind even. It, it's it's almost just like a puzzle or a riddle that is really hard for me to grasp that uh Najee Harris's his workload is so strong that he is a very clear top 10 running back. And yet I mean, every other guy around him, I mean, DeAndre Swift's right there. I think DeAndre Swift can do that. At least he can do it from the the ways that Jamal Charles used to do it. If he hit on a couple of big, long touchdowns in one game, he winds up with a 200-yard game. DeAndre Swift would have to hit on four 50-yard touchdowns on third and 10 carries. (laughs) But can he do that? I think he could do that. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, everyone else, even like Nick Chubb, who has this horrible role, like he can hit on four 50-yard runs, not four, but – uh, he could Chuck have hit on a bunch, man. That guy is unreal. He's unreal. I mean, all of all of these other backs that are up there near him, you know, as you said, the, the Christian McCaffrey's and everyone else. I mean, you we, obviously we think back to Alvin Kamara last year, six touchdowns in uh, the championship game. Uh, you know, we saw Todd Gurley a couple of years ago and, and McCaffrey and these games that just define seasons. Obviously, the the year that you won the big money, Jamal Charles, five TDs, week fifteen. I had him in a you know, a little home league back then, but I, I took took down my, my home league. It was pretty fun. That was a great week. Those are the weeks that uh, people talk about with these early running backs that you have to get. Man, it just, yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, you see it from Taylor. You see it from Meckler. I'm hoping for our team that we see it from Najee, but it does not feel like it's going to happen. Well, Ben, we did a little bit of this on the Sunday night, Monday morning show. But within the context of what you were just saying there, I want to give thanks for you and the relationship that we have and have been able to extend with this. I want to give thanks to the Ceiling Bananas fantasy community. It's been absolutely incredible. And as we look to the fantasy playoffs, uh, let's go ahead and give some looking ahead thanks to Tyreek Hill, who is going to do the running back thing. He's going to have his 200-yard first quarter and then 200-yard fourth quarter and score five touchdowns and win us the big money. It doesn't have to come from the running back. Let's let's. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for, for Tyreek Hill. 
All right. I mean that. And look, I feel the same way about you. You, you you're so good with the sentimental stuff. I, uh, you know, you're, you're making me bashful, but um, yeah, no, this has been a blast to do this podcast. It's a good time to to reflect. We're coming down the stretch here. Uh, we'll probably be losing our, you know, some of our listeners by the end of the, the fantasy playoffs. Uh, you know, that, that always happens with fantasy content. So it's a good time now to thank everybody for listening to us all year. Um, certainly anyone who's still listening this late into this episode at this point in the season is a, is a true Stealing Bananas fan. And, and we really appreciate your support and, and, and enjoy spending this time with you guys. It's that the, the, you guys listen to it that makes it, you know, not just worthwhile for us to do it. It's, you know, it's what makes it possible for us to do it. So thank you uh, very much for your support. And Ben, have a great Thanksgiving. Root hard. I know we've got some fun games. It's not every week that you get to watch Lions Bears. Uh, we'll be back without soon. Justin Field. <laughs> we'll be back soon with everybody for week 13. But uh, until then, uh, this has been a fun time. It's been Ceiling Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Uh, check out his newsletter, Stealing Signals. You'll be glad you did. We still have our 10% discount going for Rotoviz if you use the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Subscribe to the feed. We're going to have a few different probably uh, release points over the next you know six weeks to a month. Uh, make sure you don't miss that by subscribing. And if you could leave us a, a rating and review, we always appreciate that. If you're a super fan, refresh that review for us. It'll help us in the algorithm. Uh, if you don't want anybody else in your league to listen to us, then don't refresh that. We'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>